Okay, so today we uh, we continue our journey through First John. We've been in for those who are just now joining us. We've been in First John for I don't know three months now, two or three months. Yeah, we're nearing the end. Um, so we're in First John chapter five, and we're uh, verses two through five today. Verses two through five. So 2 through 5 reads uh, out of the NASB says by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and follow his commandments for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome So this I mean it's essentially telling us in a nutshell that truly loving God and following His commandments is going to equal loving the children of God. And for anybody who's been with us for the last couple months, we have talked about loving the children of God a lot. And when we talk about it, it's always kind of coming back to those two great commandments that Christ has given us. And I've probably mentioned them in the last couple sermons. I want to bring them up again today, not to rehash what we've talked about, but to kind of look at it a little bit of a different way. So Matthew 22, 37 and 39 through 40, where it talks of, it says, uh, he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two commandments hang the whole law and the prophets. And you're going to say, yeah, Carlos, we've talked about this a lot. And we have. These are very important commandments. I can't imagine that they'll never come up again. Um, because the, the Christian, and this might be kind of an odd way of putting it, but the Christian who does not love God, who does not keep His commandments, is of very little effect in the body of Christ. I mean, for one thing, if you don't love God, it's hard to say that you're even in the body of Christ. I, I don't necessarily understand how that could even be true so this is true even and you may have seen this in churches you've been a part of before Uh, churches are not above error things like that but even if a person is in deeply involved in a church they might hold a position in a church they might you know any of those things a person may believe in God. They may believe in God. Hear these things. They may fear God. They may give Him all the credit in the world. But if they don't love God, something is very wrong. Something is very wrong. If they don't love others, something is very wrong. Those are the things that we've been talking about so much lately. Because when love, when obedience to God... When those kind of things grow cold in your heart, you hurt yourself and you hurt people around you. Those affect everything in your life. And this is not, oh, the church is trying to tell me what to do kind of thing. Jesus Christ says these things. In John 14, 15, He says what? He says, if you love Me, you will keep My commandments. That's what Christ said. 
And as the Scriptures have said, His commandments are not a burden when a person is born again. You know, we don't, we don't question when we buy a new car. We don't question if we should follow the warranty. Generally, we do. Because it's recommended. It's the same thing going on here, but way more important than a car warranty. You've entered the faith, and Christ is saying how that faith operates. So that is, I mean, you have God telling you Himself. It's, it can't get any more clearer than there. <clears throat> but this is not, and we've said this before, this is not to say that this is easy. This is not to say that we will never sin again. I mean, if it was that easy, we would never sin again, right? <clears throat> we have to look at this in the context of Scripture. So, let's see a little bit. This might make a little bit more sense because we've talked about these first two commandments a couple times. And maybe looking at a little bit more Scripture here will kind of bring them into a clearer vision. I want to look at uh, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. And this says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is comfortable and my burden is light. Now, he doesn't say that there is not a burden. He says that his burden is light. Now, additionally, in Matthew, in chapter 23, verses 1-4, through Jesus gets a little bit more uh, specific in here of why we're talking about these commands. So he says, it says, Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Listen to what Jesus is saying here. Because this really brings these two commandments into clarity. <clears throat> they have seated themselves on the chair of Moses. Therefore, whatever they tell you and do and comply with it, it all, but do not do as they do. For they say things and do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are unwilling to move, to move them with so much as their finger. Does anybody know back then how many Jewish laws the people were under? 613. That's right. 613 laws. If you ever get a chance, look them up. Some of them are laws where you're like, oh, that makes sense. That's something that God would want me to do. Others, you're like, man, I could never keep all of this. 613 laws in Jesus' time were put on the people. <clears throat> now, we're talking about laws too, though. We're talking about commandments. Jesus' commandments. And it could be easy to confuse what we're saying with legalism. That you must do this. You must do this. Because God is saying that we must love all. God is saying that we shall love neighbor as ourselves. And when we talk about sin all the time, we say that we are not to live in sin. Examples would be like 
constantly being angry with people, hateful with people, being drunken all the time, being a liar, living in adultery, homosexuality, all these things, living in these things. We talk of living in sin. But then we also say that sin will happen because we are sinful people, but don't live in it. Right? We've said that before. But when we talk of the two commandments of Christ, we're saying almost kind of the opposite. And hopefully this makes sense, and if not, throw a rock at me later at the end. But it's almost kind of the opposite. Because we're saying, here are the two commandments, and you're not always going to live up to these ideals. You're not always. But we want you to live in this. So hopefully that makes a little bit more sense. You're not always going to meet these requirements, but we want you to live in it as much as possible. That's what God is saying. Now why? Because, because Christ commands, they guide us, they steer us, and they funnel us to who? To Him. Now Scripture specifically tells you, if you ever have an issue with this, with why do we have to follow these commands? Why do we have to follow these two great commandments? Turn to Galatians 3, 22-26. Turn to Galatians. If you have your Bible open, turn to Galatians 3, 22-26. Because this is going to put it all into perspective. I don't know what page number it is on the Pew Bible if you're out there. But this tells us why we have these commandments from Christ. So it says, But the Scripture has confined everyone under sin. The laws, right? Have confined everyone under sin. So that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before faith came, we were kept in custody under what? Under the law. Being confined to the faith that was destined to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our guardian to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified, not by the law, by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for you are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So it lays it out there. Paul lays it out for us in Galatians where he says that that guardian, the law, the commandments, steers us to Jesus Christ. And though we are no longer under it, that is what points us to Christ. Because God knows we won't be perfect and when we violate those laws, we're going to be in need of a Savior. So like I said, you're not going to live those laws perfectly. Nobody will. But that is where we want to live, not in deliberate sin. That's the better place. That's the place where you're reliant on God. And that's the beauty of the commandments and the way that faith works with them. Because beauty of faith is not... uh, it's not a theory. It's, it's something in action. Okay? And that's going to lead us into 
the next couple of verses here. We're going to go into uh, verse 4 and 5 where it said, <clears throat> Whoever has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? If you're somebody that deals with depression, anxiety. This is a good set of verses for a person to pray on. Because this is the victory. Okay, John starts with a very simple premise in these two verses. John's mindset here is that he can't even imagine that somebody who believes in God could be defeated. There is no defeat in God. That's the mindset that John has in this when he gets to these verses. <clears throat> and again, this is not this is not a works-based salvation because he's not saying what we do, he's saying what we believe, who we believe in. So the victory that's spoken here. This is interesting. This is why if you ever have a inkling to get into Scripture and find out what different things mean, it, it can be very revealing. So the word for victory here is Nike. Kind of like Nike, but without the child labor. Okay, So, commonly, when we think of victory, we think, you know, we won the big game. Uh, you won a battle, right? But there's another meaning for Nike here. And that meaning is conquest. Conquest. So this, this subjugation, this control, that is what we have over the world. That is what we have over sin. It's not just a victory. Not just a victory. <clears throat> So, <clears throat> sorry, I lost my place for a second there. Completely lost my place. <clears throat> so this kind of victory, this conquest, it's hard to imagine in this world if you really start getting your wheels turning too much. There's a lot of things that are going on in this world, and there have always been a lot of things going on in this world. If you were in the first century, you'd have been absolutely horrified because of the things that Nero was doing to Christians back then. But we have things that are going on here too. There's a couple that would make you think that where is this conquest you're talking about? Where is this victory that you're talking about? Um, if you pay attention to what's going on, has anybody seen the Respect for Marriage Act that's going through Congress. Anybody paid attention to that? So the Respect for Marriage Act is basically a repeal of the Defense of Marriage Act, which was signed by almost all the same people who want this new bill to go through, but it was back in the Clinton era. Sorry we're getting a little political here, but this Respect for Marriage Act does two things, supposedly. It codifies in the legality of homosexual marriage, 
And then to try to play with people's emotions, it codifies in that interracial marriage is allowed. Um, I have an interracial marriage, and I don't think that it's ever been under attack, but apparently they're trying to use emotions for that. So one could see that going on and think, well, we're kind of going in the wrong direction, right? It's not hard to think that. And to placate us, they have put into the verbiage there that this won't affect people of faith, that it won't affect uh, churches and their nonprofit status, things like that. But just keep in mind, these same people, like I said, who are passing this are the same people that passed the original one, which was supposed to solidify traditional real marriage. So their word doesn't go too far. You could see a day where the churches were true churches who have biblical values. They could be pushed underground. I mean, that could happen. It's happened in other countries. And this is the way it starts, or the way it keeps going. What else is going on in the world? You know, we have elections. Every couple of years in this country, we have elections. And we have candidates who openly endorse abortion, who openly endorse same-sex marriage, government-endorsed racism. Anybody seen that one? Anybody know what that one's called? Maybe affirmative action? Where me and Dave apply for the same job, but because he's white, they don't even consider him. They pick me instead. So we have government-endorsed racism candidates there out there. Ones who push critical race theory, where the white people are the horrible people, and everybody else is good. And they want all these things to be put into law one day. We have death and sickness all around us. Every week we pray for somebody to be healed. Because we know God heals people. But nevertheless, we have sicknesses. We have deaths. Everybody's dealing with something. Everybody knows somebody who's died. Some people might think, well, I'm, you know, maybe I don't have too much longer with whatever I've got going on. So we have these kind of things. Uh, we had the anniversary a little while ago of our, of our baby passing. So death is very real. And these things are to try to take your mind off of the victory that you already have. There's a quote that I... Uh, <clears throat> I don't think I had the whole quote, but quote on this that where I said uh, or it says uh, and I don't know who said this but it says the world will let a man go to hell quietly and never try to stop him but the world will never let a man go to heaven quietly it will do all it can to turn him back these are the things that are trying to turn you back because let's go over those one more time but differently so we have a world that is legalizing ungodly unions that's cementing them into society so they can change people's mindsets as generations grow. But we have won already because we have the faith. We know what real marriage is. God has defined it very clearly for us. There's no changing our mind. So we have the victory already in these things. These candidates that we talk about, and they're from both parties. I'm not playing a Republican or Democrat card here. I know they say you're not supposed to talk about politics in church, 
No, that's not true. Because when you are born again, that lens, that new, new, those new eyes are to affect every aspect of your life. There's no such thing as having a separate pro- political view than your religious view. If you're born again, you're born again. Okay? That's, it's, it's asinine to think that. But we have these candidates who fit very well into the context of Scripture because though they know because God's law is written on everyone's heart, they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death. They not only do the same, but they do what? Anybody remember this? They approve of them. They approve of them. So people are approving of those who are doing these ungodly things. They're afraid to preach the Gospel to them because they don't want to offend anybody. In the realm of death, we know that we have won. Because we know that death is not permanent. People are killing they're killing babies. They're, there's actually legislation in Canada now to start approving uh, assisted suicide for people as young as 16. People who have mental illnesses that are depressed or have this going on, that. Well, the doctors are okay with writing a prescription just to kill you. That's the kind of death that they are trying to push. But for the Christian, we know that there is no death. When me and Dave die, me and my wife die, when anybody in here dies, we are crossing the veil and we are just changing zip codes. That's the glory. That's, That's the reassurance that we had when our child died because I know that Eli is in heaven with our Savior right now. And he's probably telling him, look, watch your dad try not to mess up this sermon. You know? I have no doubts of where where my child is. Because we have that victory in our faith. But it's real faith. It's not just a conversion prayer. There's nothing wrong with that. But it doesn't end there. Never ends there. There's a quote from Charles Spurgeon on this that I really like, where he says, he says, look at any Greek lexicon that you like, and you will find that the word faith or believe does not merely mean to believe, but to trust, to confide in, to commit to, entrust with, and so forth. The very marrow of the meaning of faith is confidence in and reliance upon. Faith is a very deep word. Not just the dictionary version. So, Christ has given us this means to victory that we already have when we are believers. We already have it. When you have it, it's so easy to see compared to when you didn't have it. Just last week, we had people talking of their conversion stories. Of what it means to be born again. And you can see that there is a difference for people in that old life when things would happen compared to now when things would happen. There is a hopelessness when you don't have Christ. And there is a huge hope and victory when you do have Him.
So in faith, we overcome and we are victorious. And it's again, it's not me twisting Scriptures to come to this conclusion. Jesus Christ says these same things. Let's go to the Scriptures for just a second and see what He says on it. Where He says in John 16.33, He says, These things I have spoken to you, so that in Me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. So we abide in Him, and we have all these things that He says. There's another verse on this that I, I find unsettling for myself only because I feel like I don't deserve it. I know I don't deserve it. Um, Revelations 3.21 is very interesting for Christians. The one that overcomes, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat with my father on his throne. Isn't that kind of weird to think of? Jesus Christ is saying that when you believe in Him, you're going to sit with Him on His throne. I don't know exactly what that means, and I'm not going to pretend to. However, I find it overwhelming for myself. <laughs> I don't know how, how it is for everybody else. But I find it very humbling as well. So all these things that we've been talking about here, we have victory. We have faith. These play into our holiday that's coming up. Nice little segue there. So, these play into Thanksgiving. Because Thanksgiving started as a religious holiday. As a Christian holiday. It wasn't just get together and stuff yourself with as much turkey as you can find. Okay? These people were Christians and they were thankful after some very tough seasons. A lot of people were dying. Things like that. They... They had some real things to be thankful for, and so do we. So when Thanksgiving comes this week, you know, think about the fact that God has loved you so much, that He's blessed you with so much, that He's given you salvation, a grace that you didn't earn. Expound on those blessings with when you talk with your children this Thanksgiving. Take te just 10 minutes to really let them know what they have to be thankful for. I mean, you guys have a roof over your head. We have food. We have children running around. Look how many kids were here today. There are more kids than there is adults. Um, you know, we have jobs. We have, we have consolation and comfort when bad things happen. Because not everything's good. Not every day is wonderful. But we have a God that is always with us, who always comforts us, who always gives us understanding. And He promises to bring us through these things. Because everything good comes from our Lord. So remember these things when you're at the Thanksgiving table this year and just kind of give God thanks for those.